Small Business Focus on The Money Show. Pablo Fatidi is in studio with me this evening. The five levels you should aim to grow your business to the next level. All I do is I go to a little box called Otis and I push the floor. One, two, three, four or five and I can go to the top floor without any problem. But Pablo Fatidi, we tried to talk about this last week but you guys interrupted us, which is fantastic by the way. Um, so if you want to talk about absolutely everything else other than taking your business to the next level, <laughs> if you've got a funding problem, a headache, a crisis, an issue that you think Pablo Fatidi can help you with, I would love for you to give us a call this evening on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. That would be spectacular. The Small Business Focus is brought to you by MTN Business. Welcome to the new world of business, Pablo Fatidis. Um, we've got to go back to the first level again because and explain the theory once again because not everybody who's listening now was listening this time last week. Okay, let's just talk about this concept of taking your business to the next level. Let's replay a bit of last week where I said to you, why are you stuck in jargon, Pablo? And you responded? Because everyone uses it. Everyone uses it. It's used in magazines. It's used especially and extensively in the media space. And everyone always thinks, okay, well, we're going to grow the business to the next level. But, Bruce, what does it really mean? I was about to say to you, so what does that mean? (laughs) Exactly right. And there are a whole lot of academic theories around it. And in my view, the academic theories that are often posited around this notion of next level growth are really fundamentally academic because businesses don't go in straight lines and things never work out as you plan. But as the business owner, if you don't have an idea of what next level means, your behavior is really not going to change over a period of time sufficiently to help you grow and build a business that will be different from period to period to period to period. And if you don't get that right, you'll end up being one of these statistics. You know that stat of… 90% of all businesses go bust in… 94. Sorry. More than 90%. To use some journalese, yes. nearly all businesses, no, 94% of businesses go bust in the first two years. No, even okay. worse. 94% of businesses started never, ever get sold. That is worse. It is worse. Oh. No, it's a terrible notion. So this notion of next level growth, you need to understand it in, in practical terms, in, in almost artisanal terms. So you can construct and build your business that you're in control of from level to level to level, because with each level that you add, you're adding value to the business for the potential sale of that business. And ultimately, that should be an objective behind every entrepreneur or business owner, in my view. Okay, we're in the basement. We've, we've, driven, the, we've driven the taking the business to the next level car into the basement. We need to get to ground level or floor number one, depending which country you're in. Okay, so let's start the business. And in the starting of the business, the first level you've got to get right. You need to focus on sales. Because sales are the truth of any business. If you can get a sale done more than once or or twice, then you know you might have something. And often, Bruce, you and I can sit down here. We've had lots of exposure to business. We can research until it comes out of our ears. But when we go to market with our product or service, if we can't get sales done, we don't have business. We just really have an idea. So the first stage or the first level you've got to get right as an entrepreneur is Draw blood. Get sales going. Because in that process, you're going to be told what the market wants as opposed to what you thought the market wants. But I've already got a stock room full of stock. I went over to a trade show in Shanghai and I bought 
Cheap, school fees. Cheap look-alike look Bic pens. <laughs> you bought school fees. I did. I That's spent a lot of money on school fees. <laughs> so now I've got a whole bunch. I've got a problem because I've got a, I've got a stock room full of cheap pens that leak mm-hmm. um, in your pocket and they're not particularly good because I wanted to get my business to the first level really quickly. So I thought ahead and I went and bought my stock. But now I can't move the stuff. Okay, but you've done the right thing because no amount of theory can actually help you identify what the real opportunity is. You've got these pens. The pens are terrible. They're leaking all over the place. You've realized now that there's a flaw in the product. But most importantly, the fact that you've got a product in your hand and the fact fact that you can go and stand in front of someone and say, buy the pen, and I say no, you should be asking why. And then you should be asking, well, what would you buy in terms of a writing instrument if you need one at all? And in those conversations, Bruce, that startup phase, that's what it's all about. If you can get as many of those conversations going as possible, You'll eventually find a pen that does work and you'll start to sell. Do better businesses evolve that have a really rough start versus businesses that kind of get it right almost immediately? In my view, absolutely. Because steel is forged in fire. If you want to build a business that's going to have serious backbone to it, that's grounded in a customer as opposed to a product, it can only come through that kind of interaction. Okay, so... Hard times are good if you survive them. Yes. There we go. Uh, Kyle and Soweto will come to your call in just a moment. So now we, we go to, we, we've now had our pens rejected. We've been told quite uniformly that they're the wrong color orange. They leak too much. And there's absolutely no way under the sun anyone's going to buy these pens. So we've, we've learned some expensive school fees. Yes, but we've drawn sales because now we've got a product that's working. We've got customers. Because we've learned. We've gone back to uh, the, the next Shanghai sales fair and we've thrown the pens back in the salesman's face and asked for better quality. Absolutely right. And that's level one. So when someone says, okay, now you must grow your business to the next level. So the attention of the business owner has to start shifting here. I've found market. I've got a product that works. I'm drawing blood. The sales are starting to flow. Because now I've got people selling these for me. Well, hopefully. Yes. But before you do that, the next thing you need to do, the next activity where you should be concentrating your effort, and please don't shoot me down. You need, I don't know, some kind of... Of <sighs> systems. You need, no, you need to build systems. I, I don't mind the word system. Okay, all right. You need it. to build systems. And you need to build systems in the front end of the business, which is around marketing and selling. And you need to build systems in the back end of the business, which is around delivering what you've marketed and sold. But I've never built a sold. system in my life. I mean, I'm the idiot who uh, got retrenched and I took my payout and I went to Shanghai and bought leaky pens. How the, what do I know about building a system? Because in the process of getting the new pen sold and in the process of engaging with customers on the new pen, there are a whole lot of activities that you've organized, that you're putting in place, that are leading to those sales coming in. So when you organize those activities, already, Bruce, you've got a system. You can't employ people until you have a system. And what happens with so many entrepreneurs is I'm saying, good grief, I can't cope with this. I, I need help at any cost, anyone You'll find a waiter in a restaurant or your next best friend or even worse, uh, a husband or a wife or whatever the case might be. You're pulling someone in and bang, they're sitting in a situation without any guidance, any structure. And Bruce, you pay them before you pay you. Absolutely. So your apprehension and your anger towards (laughs) that individual grows. Um, You don't need to respond to this. I think it's funny. It might make you cross. Pablo is confusing things. Not all of us are in business to get businesses to a position to be sold. I'm in business to make money for a Ferrari and all I desire in my lifetime. What happens to the business after I die is not my concern. 
Fantastic. That's a choice. It's an option. And, um, you know, maybe the Ferrari is an asset. Maybe you can sell the Ferrari when Unless you, you get to a certain point in time and, and you can and, retire on the back of that. Unless you've got such a, a, a bad attitude, you crash and burn the Ferrari, <laughs> of course, without insurance. Yes, um, and that's happened once or twice, I think. It has. Yes. Um, let's pause for a moment. Kyle and Soweto has got a great question. He wants to get out of the basement and to the first floor. Hello, Kyle and Soweto. Hi there, Bruce. Your question. Yes. I have a business plan that I need to get off the ground, okay? It's a brilliant idea. I've got my market uh, target market involved. They are very interested in me getting started, but it involves buying property. In the area where I want to get started, they do not allow me to, to lease the property. It's only available for sale. No, none of the sellers are willing to enter lease agreements. So how do I get that uh, finance for property? Because banks do not finance property for businesses anymore. Uh, interesting question. I mean, how much money are you talking about here, Kyle? Uh, it's the property is going for one million, one point two okay. million. One point two million rand. So, how then, Pablo, would Kyle approach this particular problem? Thank you, Kyle and Soweto, for your great question. That's a fantastic question, actually, because a lot of people face this kind of environment. So, there are a couple of things, Kyle. The first thing is, when you speak about your target market and you speak to them in relation to a business plan, I've never heard anyone ever say. No, I don't want that service or I don't want that product until the day comes that they've got to pay for it. And very often that changes. For that reason, in my experience, I've looked at, and I don't want to exaggerate, possibly, honestly, possibly 20,000 business plans. (laughs) And of those that have finally gone to market, I've never seen a business emerge that looks like the business plan that wrote about the business before it happened. So there are going to be massive changes that take place over there. And funders are very aware of it, especially experienced funders. And today, there are very few inexperienced funders. People who actually do invest in businesses have got this kind of knowledge behind them. So that's my first issue that I would look at. The next thing is, it's very, very hard to enter into any business where you need to raise a bunch of funding to get the business going if you don't put any of your own money in first. Yeah. And you need to put in at least for a startup around 50-odd percent, maybe even 60 percent. It's about saving that startup capital because nobody. why should anybody else risk their money if you're not prepared to risk yours? Okay, so let's talk about how you get there if you don't have any capital in the yeah. first place. The best way to enter into this particular kind of business that you're moving into is if you've got the insight, you've got the ideas, find an opportunity to consult to someone who has money that is looking to move into that kind of business. Because, Kyle, if you can build a reputation behind you and you can demonstrate that you have helped others, that you've provided consulting services for which you've been paid, and you start saving up your money in that space, it demonstrates character, it demonstrates insight, it demonstrates determination, it demonstrates all the things that a funder would be very interested in funding. Remember this, they're not funding your business, ultimately they're funding you. Yeah. Absolutely. So I hope that helps, Carl. I really do. Um, Clive in Rudderport, he says, a true entrepreneur has no desire to sell his business. Having been a retailer for 36 years, I believe I'm qualified to speak here. And you absolutely are. Okay, so Clive, I hope, I truly, truly hope you love what you do. Because the reality is that when you do get to a point where you could sell your business, the capital gain structure enables you to get a capital sum. That capital sum is something that you're going to have for your retirement. It's well and good to love a business for the first 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. 
But all of us get to a point in time. It might be 60 for some, it might be 70 for others, it might be 80 for others, where it becomes almost impossible to maintain the business. And if you are running a business that's not growing, understand this, that the business in itself is dying. So there are always two destinations for every single business in the world. It's either going to be a closure at some point in time, or hopefully it's going to be a sale. And the reason a sale is so important for us as entrepreneurs is because that sale is our ultimate pension. It gives us the grace to retire effectively. There are just so many tragic stories of people who hold on to their businesses for too long. And by the time they manage to break from this emotional bond to their business, the sellers have disappeared, the vultures are sitting in the trees, drooling over them, and they get a fraction of what they might have got if they'd sold at a point in time where they still had the passion, the energy, the drive, and there was a growth picture for the business. So often people work too long, lose their passion, lose their energy. That's when they try to sell. And, and it's the too late. The There's result, no market for the it. The results are tragic. Eric in Parktown North. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Pablo, I, you, you, when, you, when you said that every entrepreneur should be, I mean, don't, I'm not quoting you verbatim there, so excuse me if I'm being inaccurate. Sure. But you basically uh, indicated or insinuated that most every businessman should be in the business, be in business to business. I've never, I've never been in business to do that. I, I don't even know if, I mean, I truly love my business and I truly love what I do. Um, I'm, I'm creating wealth in other by from the income that I'm that I'm getting from this business. So why should I want to sell my business? To you know, as as a nest egg, what am I going to do afterwards? Am I, can I take that money and start something else and go through all rigmarole again? Now, Eric, Eric, I mean, and your your view is so heartfelt and so powerful, and I want to see Pavlo's answer to this one. Uh, well, <laughs> there's going to be a very strong answer. Look, ultimately, Eric, th- there are a couple of things, and, and I think as an entrepreneur, you're going to make a decision about what you're doing. Are you creating a business that, in effect, is creating a job for yourself, something that will keep you occupied, something that will earn you income, something that will earn you a living, something that you're going to be the center of and the key to in all circumstances? Because if that's the case, the money you make out of that business, you need to work with an individual like a financial advisor to create a portfolio of assets that will look after you at a point in time where you can no longer work in that business. Now, my argument always is that when I see someone doing that, why not, instead of just working with passion and love for the business that you're doing, work with purpose? Because the art of creating a saleable asset out of your business leaves you with options. If you don't take that road, then you have no options. You've got to continue working in the business to keep yourself busy. If you work with the purpose of creating a saleable asset – of a day, you might well enjoy the capital gain, and that forms a fantastic nest egg for a time. Each to each, each to their own. Each I mean, to their there, own. There are some, there, there's some people who very happily in their 70s are still running their businesses. But on the day that it stops, and it will stop, Eric, what is the consequence of that? Small Business Focus on The Money Show. Welcome to The Money Show. We're not going to get to level two at this stage, but we don't care because we love your questions. Um, from Christian, what if, like Pavlo, you are the business? Well, if you are the business, then... What if, like Pavlo, mm. you are the business? He's saying that you are Auric. That first, and then um, the other one. Are yes, you, are yes, you the I, I heard that. No, no. Uh, uh, Christian, I'm, well, I'm not the business. When I started, I was the business because it was me and 
a co-founder. There were two of us. And we started in a stationary cupboard with a boardroom table that extended into the corridor where the stationary cupboard was located because we had ideas to grow the business. But today, uh, within Auric, we've got uh, 58 staff and we've moved way beyond just me and my co-founder. There we go. So what if somebody like you, when you started out, mm-hmm. was the business? Okay, well, I went through the startup phase and then I moved to the next level, which was the early stage of building the systems. And then um, I saved with the money that we earned and made my first acquisition of an employee who was a very good employee. And I employed them, and that's really the third level. That's the next level, and it's the next level of growth that you get to. So we've, we've got to well, get your sales right, get your systems right, and then it's, it, your first employee comes at sort of level three. Steve in Rustenburg, an interesting question from you, Steve. Hello. Bruce Pablo, thank you for your time. Interested in the conversation a little earlier around the interplay between seller and consumer. And if I understand you correctly, you're saying how consumer defines product to a certain extent when you take it to market. Um, little bit of context, I'm coming from the education sphere, although also quite entrepreneurial. Uh, what happens if you have a product where you feel you have an informed um, sort of decision-making around, this is what I'm bringing and it has value, and I do not want it to be changed too much by the consumer, if you understand what I'm asking. How is that marketed? How would you pursue that in saying, um, this is what we have and there's great value and, and we wish you to purchase Stephen Rustenberg, thanks so much for your call. It's a very interesting question, that Bruce, because it happens in every single business. When you are the business owner and you've got a service or you've got a product, you always have a view of how to innovate, in effect, that service or product and introduce something new. And Stephen, the way that I would do that is in the very early stages of establishing a business. If you want to bring something brand new to market or something that's going to change the behavior of customers in a market – The period of bringing it to market and drawing first blood often sees you not survive because you need to get to the cash flow fairly quickly and fairly early. So the way I would introduce that kind of product and the way that we have in our particular space is we've come into the market with a product that people can identify with, that they they can relate with, they can compare it to other products similar to ours out there, and then they can make a judgment call. And at the same time, We then have found different customers looking for their product who have a bit more of an innovative mindset. They are the individuals. They're typically called early adopters or innovators. Those are the individuals that you test the new product with. You test the innovation with them. And the remarkable thing that happens is that the moment they take it on, they then start to lead the consumers behind them. And a very, very simple, plain analogy of this is we all used to have the very, very basic Nokia phone. When the first smartphones came out, maybe 1% of the market were prepared to experiment with them. And today, anyone without a smartphone is out of the race. So you've got to structure your customers and the engagement with those customers differently depending on what mindset they have. Pavlo Fatidis from Auric Business Incubator. Fabulous conversations as always. And thank you so much for your calls and SMSs. Next week, how do you sell a business? When do you sell a business? Uh, Joe comes through and says, how do you sell a business? Where do you sell a business? There isn't a gum tree for businesses. Um, and Bebby was also asking, when's the right time to sell a business? Can we do yeah, that? Yeah, we, we try to have that conversation, but we Be- got interrupted again. We keep again, getting interrupted. Which is fantastic. It is awesome.